Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, the only industrial safety podcast that brings you common sense advice on job site safety, standards, regulations, and industry best practices without putting you to sleep. All right, we're back again with Fred and Dave here with Dave and Bacon Safety Tales. Glad you made it back. I'm playing a little bit hurt today. Got the Got the strep. Got a little snivel. Got a little, little strep. So if you hear me coughing in the background, my apologies. But I did. It have looks like the... shit, but he did show up. Yeah, so I'm here playing hurt. We're on uh, day two of antibiotics, so I'm over that 24-hour hurdle. So I'm at least able to climb out of bed. So I'm glad, glad for that. Been a lot of that going around, though. Yeah. I mean, everybody I've talked to. Um, I was t- talking to my girlfriend. And they were they almost had to cancel school in our school system because they didn't have enough bus drivers. Because all the bus drivers were They staying. had enough bus drivers that went down with the flu that they they were critically trying to figure out how they were going to get everybody that was still well enough to walk to school. Yeah. It's amazing to me, and especially the way that different viruses and different things affect people differently. Like, I've had, I had strep throat actually earlier this year. And it was like my throat was swollen. It didn't hurt. Nothing. It looked disgusting in the mirror. Yeah. And I was completely fine. A bunch of fine. cottage cheese in the back of your neck. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like that. And I, otherwise I was completely fine. And then took antibiotics and it went away. And then this time I'm laying in bed, shivering, <laughs> and then sweating two minutes later, laying on top of the covers, yeah. drenching That's... everything around me. You're trying to take sips of water. Like, I'm on the Sahara <laughs> Desert, like, shaking and putting the water into my mouth, spilling it all over my oh, face. Whoa. Good thing you're in a hotel, right? Yeah, oh yeah, I, I didn't even tell you. you there need was, to change the sheets. Yeah, there was. I got two beds. So I'm gonna sleep in the other bed. <laughs> I'm sleeping in the other bed tonight for sure. But I had in the middle of the night, and I I didn't mention this to you that, um, so my spit is really not to be too disgusting, but my spit is really thick. Oh, okay. From all like the so I got cotton mouth a little bit, <laughs> and so in the middle of the night I, I had a loogie that I was spitting into the toilet. And it just was hanging. I couldn't get it to go away. <laughs> so I reach over to grab um, a, a towel off the off the sink. I grab it and I wipe. And I, I didn't realize I was grabbing two towels. Oh. So I bring it to my face. And the second towel drops directly into the toilet. <laughs> as I'm having the chills in the middle of the night. So I have to pull this towel out of the toilet and throw, throw it into the it. bathtub. And let it hang out there overnight. So anyways, things are lovely for me. Yeah. So, well, it um, sounds like you're on the mend. So that's a good thing. Hopefully I'm doing better. But... So again, we're here with Quad City Safety. Um, we're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. I'm QC Safety Fred on Twitter. Um, we have a Facebook page. So any way that you want to reach out for any of our content, we, we got a lot of good machine. stuff out there. We got the fax machine. We just started a, a resources page on our website. Yeah, really super excited about that. So there's lots of good info out there on QuadCitySafety.com. Um, at the top of the screen, you can click resources and really on any of the hazard categories that we talk about. Um, product categories we're going to be continuing to add to that but we are pretty excited that there's a lot of good information on there to check we try out. to make it practical too so it, they don't read like a real dry you know like you literally want to hang yourself about halfway through it we try to try to do it just the way we do it here just in how to say layman's know. terms yep yep so um recently dave was at the north dakota safety show and uh we have a bunch of glove suppliers that we work with. You track down a couple of them. So we're going to get on with an interview with somebody that kind of knows their shit in the in the realm of hand protection. Um, live from the North Dakota Safety Show. I'll let Dave do the introductions in the interview. So here we go. Okay, here we go. I'm here with Mike Hemming at the uh, North Dakota Safety Council Show. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you doing, buddy? Good afternoon, David. How are you? Good. So how's the show been for you? show has been very productive. It's been busy. Right on. Yes. So, you know, tell, tell, uh, give them a little, not a real deep dive, but just kind of an overview of who Global Glove is. Well, we're a, uh, we're a, a safety glove, safety glass, and a high-vis manufacturer based out of Minnesota, Ramsey, Minnesota. Um, fairly new. We're, uh, we're going to be a 15-year-old company this year, and we specialize in uh, coated, cut resistance, and impact gloves. Okay. So, you know, realistically, cut resistance is, you know, one of the real pillars of you guys and a lot of your growth. You know, looking at uh, where the marketplace 
was and with this change in the standard and where things are going, what, what do you think you're seeing there? What are the trends? Well, basically, you know, when we came into the into the glove market, we uh, we actually control and uh, we have an ownership in our in our dipping plant in our knitting plant, and the way technology has come, it used to be a lot of cottons, your leathers, your string knits, that style. Mm -hmm. um, well, with the technology that's out there now, we're getting a better product, safer product, and with the cut resistant, the new engineered yarns that are out there, not just your Kevlar and your Dynemas. There's uh, there's a lot of other product out there that'll fit your hands they're a lot safer and they're less expensive and you don't have the uh, inconsistencies you would with your cottons your leathers yeah so with the new styles of cut resistance that's out there it's a lot uh, it's a lot more safe for the employees and you're getting a lot different size range yeah but you're also seeing with uh, some of the newer fibers you're seeing some uh, prices that are more attractive than if store they are yes we're actually uh, with, with some of the newer fibers that are out there the pricing has gotten to be very consistent so you're not going to have your ups and downs mm -hmm. as you would with your commodities and your leathers and stuff and they're a lot less expensive than your leathers mm -hmm. whether it be your gold or deer cow pig yeah so you know obviously being in the, the uh, safety market you have to have a little bit of passion about what you're doing or why you're doing it you know so why are you here man you know I've been doing safety for uh, almost 15 years now and for some reason or another, gloves grabbed me. Okay. Uh, no pun intended, but it's a hands-on application. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely. know, between the safety glasses and gloves, you got to have them on. You got to try them out. Um, I was fortunate enough to be trained by Mr. Craig Wagner. He used to uh, be the VP of Best before Show bought him out. Yeah. He started up Global Glove, and he got his claws in to me right away. Okay. And for some reason or another I took to the gloves okay um, when you look at injuries when you're going through a plant you got your ergonomics you got your eye and you got your hands those are your top three categories and when we're going through plants whether it be doing an audits or surveys or helping our distributors out we're actually helping people we're making mm -hmm. a difference in yep. the industry so and that's why I have taken to it okay. liking so much about it. it's a very interesting subject you know you're adding science into everyday life okay so, you know, when you talk about, you know, wins that you feel like you've had, do you, you know, wh where do you think that you've maybe changed stuff or, you know, do you have some instances where, you know, uh, you feel like technologies that you offer really changed the game Absolutely. in si situations that maybe there wasn't an answer before? Because, I mean, we all know when we're... Uh, I think people often forget is when we wear personal protective equipment, we've identified there's a goddamn hazard here. We're going to hurt somebody if we don't put armor per se on them. Absolutely, there is. I mean, you think about uh, let's say you got a you know five stitches or so on your hand, something like that, where you get a recordable, or you go into a plant that's got you know 15 recordables throughout the course of the year, yeah. and they want to limit it down to 10 or five as a success for them. Yeah. When we go in and we can eliminate it to 100 percent, zero recordables. We're saving that company hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, over the course of their workman's comp, yeah. time lost, and then just being able to help these people. They're being more productive. They're making a better product. They're not getting lost time. What's your, what's probably, what do you what do you count as your biggest success story? Like if you look back and you say, you know, you know, you don't have to mention customer names or anything, but maybe, you know, like this was happening and, you know, we solved it by yeah, you know we were uh, we were actually in a uh, in a metal stamping facility dealing with a lot of raw materials very high oil yeah. um, very heavy oil yeah. and these guys were using you know basically your, your cottons and your jersey styles of gloves <laughs> yeah they haven't seen the newer technology that was out there by some of the other competition we went in there showed them some new stuff and instantly you know we had feedback from their employees it made their employees happier the morale for the yeah. employees went higher. They, the lost time was gone. Yeah, it just it feels good when you can actually go in, make a difference. But but there, I think I, I liked where you went with that. Is you know morale? Is I think sometimes we don't get that these are personal items. So despite the fact that one item may be a little bit cheaper and do a similar thing, that sometimes just nicing it up a little bit can well, change that that whole you know the the mental side of how, uh, number one, the employee perceives their job, but how they perceive safety. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of times, you know, when, when I, I did what you guys did, working with distributors and whatnot, I was a distributor for many years. Mm -hmm. You go in and it's a me too business. It's I can get you this, I can get you this price on this. 
being with the manufacturer that I am now, it's not that. It's it's going in, showing new product. For one, it's getting me knowledge on how this can help somebody else out in the mm-hmm. industry. But then it's, okay, we're doing the right thing as Global Glove. We're making the right product to help these people out. And that's, I mean, that's where I really get my rise out of it. Right on, right on. You know, in the, you know, from a manufacturer side, you get to go in and see a lot of, of processes and where people are doing stuff, uh, whether it's manufacturing, construction, whatever. What is the, the worst thing? Hog slaughter. Yeah. Really? <laughs> it's the worst I've ever seen. Okay. Yes. Tell me, take take me a, not a real deep dive, but let, let's share that with me. What 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 are we, what are we talking about? I mean, you, because this it. is Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, so the fact that we're in hog slaughter, I mean, you got my attention here. Hog and uh, cow, any type of slaughtering okay, right is a nasty application. Yeah. Um, meat cutting, that type mm-hmm. of stuff. You know, I mean, think about the blades you're using, how cold it is, how wet it is. Um, okay. All they used to use is chain mesh gloves. Yeah. That was their that was the main thing. Well, with the technology now, and it didn't fit everybody's hand the same way. Yeah. You go in there, the scent hits you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And if you're not used to that, yeah. if you haven't dealt with it before, it's very similar to smelling death. Yeah. So you go in there, and now with some of the newer gloves that are FDA approved, mm-hmm. um, especially on the cut resistant side, these guys aren't wearing these huge chain mesh, you know, chainsaw mask style gloves. <laughs> they can actually work and do their job yeah. the way they're supposed to. Um, that's probably the worst application I've been in. Some of the coolest stuff I've been in is in automotive. You yeah. go into a plant that's making a car and how they can turn out a car in about two hours yeah. is pretty damn impressive. Yeah. And how everybody in there has a different set of jobs, but they're doing the same thing over and over repeatedly. Yeah. And they need the right PPE to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, th- there's, some, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. I've been to DNR facilities where they're, you know, gutting trouts and everything, you know, to yeah. spawn them and this and that. And they're dropping these huge tanks into rivers that go into like Lake Superior. Yeah. There's just a lot of, it's cool. really cool being able to be on the manufacturer side of it yeah. because it's, again, we're going in, we're trying to solve problems. We're yeah. giving them a solution and instead I, and of. I, and I don't think that, uh, I don't think a lot of end users get that you as a tool are there and available they don't have to be on a desert island by themselves and all they need to do is pick the phone up and and lean on you guys yep and a lot of times when you're with your manufacturers and whatnot they're not going to be as hard-pressed when the when a glove or a safety manufacturer comes in there because again we're coming in there to show them new product offer them solutions to save them cost down and to help their employees get them in the right product so they're not as threatened by you know someone like me coming in there where I'm not asking them for appeal. I want to get them, I want to solve a problem for them. And I've got something new. I want to see if it works for my own interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so, that's, so that's that's a good lead into one of my final questions here is, you know, you mentioned that y'all got some badass stuff coming out. We do. So what are you most, pick an item that you're most excited about and just give us where that space age shit goes to. We have a new item. Well, we have a couple new items coming out, but the one that I'm most excited about is uh, we've got a couple of new A9 cut-resistant level gloves, A9s with puncture. Wow. Okay. With puncture. That's, that doesn't. There's not a lot of. There's not a lot now. Needle stick. Needle stick. Okay. Needle stick. Because there's not a lot of stuff in that realm of things. There isn't. There isn't. And actually, all of our gloves are in production right now, and they're okay. being tested. So hopefully by NSC in September. We'll be launching these gloves. And that's that needle stick test is not the traditional EN388 test. It's a whole that's a whole different because I think a lot of times is people see that puncture score on um, just your regular EN388, you right. know, four number score. And I think they, they see puncture and they start thinking needle. They automatically it, assume needle. Yeah. And, and that's and it's a misconception. Absolutely, it is. I mean, you think about most cuts. Most cuts are going to start with a puncture. Yeah. I would say eighty to ninety percent of them do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts with that little prick or that hole, and then as your hand slides across it, whether it be an oil application or some yeah. sheet metal, that's really when the cuts happen. You know, this is going to be great for police forces, especially with the with the opioid epidemic yep. and the fentanyl and yeah. all the needles that are going on. Your recycling companies. Yeah. You know. Um, I would say your average recycling company, they're getting three to four needle sticks a year with an employee. That's scary as shit. Yeah. You know, they're getting AIDS tested. They're getting TB testing from yeah. this stuff. It's very scary. Um, and by these guys, 
having these new product where they're going to be able to go in, do the sorting, have the confidence that they're not going to, that these gloves aren't going to stick through. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty exciting product, and we're, we're really looking forward to it. Hey, I can't wait to see it. So we're going to wrap this up, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to check off here from uh, Bismarck, North Dakota, at the North Dakota Safety Council Show. Mike Hemming, thanks for uh, taking a chance to uh, chat with me. me. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. So let's talk a little bit further uh, after talking to the glove manufacturer, um, what we kind of do when we choose a cut glove, what we should consider. So uh, the number one bullet point I kind of have is what's being held or, or what's being worked on. Yeah, because, I mean, all edges are not created the same. So the thing to remember is you can have something that is kind of kind of dull, per se. When you would feel it, you would, would not go, that is sharp. But if you compound that with a lot of force, right, that can create a cut. And it can actually create a real deep, nasty gash. Not a clean cut, just a gap, you know, a gaping, you know, gaping scratch wound or whatever you might want to call it. Yeah. Versus something that is super, super sharp. You know, you don't have to have a lot of force. So there's a lot of different anatomy things that go into this is what is the wet what is the edge and what is the force on the edge. So even when we start talking about really getting down and deep and looking into the force on an edge is let's say that we're just handling sheet metal. Well, let's, let's handle sheet metal one, which is dry or doesn't have any oils or, you know, <coughs> anything over it. The second one is just buttered up. Yeah. You know, it's got, you know, cutting fluids or whatever on it. And let's just play a little play along with me here is let's say we have the wrong cutting coating on the glove and we're trying to grab a hold of you know something a coating that's not matched to that cutting material so let's say we have some level of a nitrile just a closed cell nitrile and something like that it may it may not get as good a grip as that same nitrile glove on a dry sample so let's say that we're working with that piece of sheet metal and we have to hold on to it. Well, the dry one, t to do whatever we're doing, we're probably not gripping it as hard. Right. Well, the one that's got a little bit of liquid or cutting, you know, <coughs> cutting fluids on it, to make sure that we're holding on that, we're holding it tighter. So, so that's where both, the force is created. So is from those, how tight yes. You're well, and it may be the weight of the item. Yeah. Is maybe you know it could be the weight of the item or. Uh, how much pressure in our hands or we're holding on to it. But in, in this example, we have the same edge on the same material with the same glove. And the only thing that's different is one's got, a, one's got you know some fluid on it. The other one doesn't have fluid. And all of a sudden, we move that. And based on the cut resistance, we thought we had the right glove. And now we have a laceration because we didn't take into account that this uh, – lube or whatever was going to be on the material and we didn't have necessarily the right coating well and that could probably be also the dexterity that your hands like sometimes a glove that you have better feel with you don't have to grip as tight yeah whereas you have a bulkier glove on and you're just you have to death grip to get through the material of the glove to get to whatever item you're yeah. grabbing on and so when it, when it goes to cut i mean it's obviously you're i mean basically sharp and force are the two things you know that that cause a cut sharp uh, how to say just force blunt object is a puncture so as things get smaller then that that's where puncture is but cut is uh, a sharp edge and force over you know a cutting force pulling that old retracto knife across the carpet so what's being held on or worked on kind of what is the pressure and the sharpness of the item that we're working on mm -hmm. then i would say is it glass is it you know there's a lot of different things out there yeah. And again, what what environment are we working on it with? Well, Meaning, because doesn't like a, a so a cut is mostly going to be like side to side, right? Like your hand runs across something, or an item runs across your hand, but something might actually poke through, and so though that's kind of tested differently. Yes, it is. So well, a glove that could be high in cut might be low in puncture. Correct. And when you start talking puncture resistance, there's different tests. So some people got in their head that puncture resistant is like needle stick 
they're not equal. So when you look at the puncture resistant test, it's actually a pretty big uh, head, meaning, I mean, when you look at the size of this thing and they, they take material over the top of it and then they pull down on it and the pounds of force that it takes to puncture that is kind of what they're going after versus a needle stick is a very, uh, <coughs> a gauge needle like that you would say somebody's freebasing their heroin or whatever and they're poking their arm, that's a real small needle. It doesn't take as much force to get through a material, especially a woven material, um, woven or knit. So uh, when we talk about those two, there's two different things, meaning cut is not equal to puncture and all puncture is not equal. And you kind of toss abrasion into the mix as well. Abrasion, yes. Well, abrasion gets into uh, it also because... Abrasion gets into that whole ten tensile strength thing that we were we were kind of chatting about something that we were looking at earlier, which is you know there's some arguments in there that the tensile strength actually drives part of the cut resistance of a, a glove. Also, it's like if you looked at it, it would kind of be two pieces of material are woven together, and each of those pieces of material are a of a certain cut resistance. But how easy is it to get in between? those two pieces of material. That's, that's that going to basis puncture. Of, yeah. Yep. So that's kind of the, the basis of what we're talking about. So the, the third kind of factor was what are you protecting yourself from? So will you be working with extreme heat or cold? Do you need insulation from shock, contact with like electric? Maybe you're dipping your hands in chemical. Chemicals, oil, oil or grease or yeah, something that's so, toxic. So the classic example... <coughs> is people will go out there and we've all seen these uh, salt and pepper Dyneema. So you, the gloves that are, they may be a cut glove that's all white or it might be white and black kind of speckled throughout it. Well, those became very comfortable because all your Gen 1 cut resistant gloves were Kevlar. So that was just a fiber that, you know, created by DuPont that everybody just knew what it was. Well, they didn't keep up with the time and and basically materials came out so your high density polyethylenes feel better against the skin so when you talk about high density polyethylene it's a single single strand of yarn versus your aramid fibers or your kevlars your tarwans all those all those guys are basically a lot of little bitty fibers so they don't feel as good to they kind of almost have an itchy feel against the skin or they're not as comfortable and they don't launder as well and they don't, and their abrasion scores are not as well. So as anybody's ever seen a Kevlar glove over time, it looks like it grows fuzz. Yeah. And it, that's basically it, it abrading over time. So, again, going back to the different environments that you're around is, let's say I'm in a foundry and I'm handling hot, sharp stuff where all of a sudden I need a cut-resistant glove. Somebody comes in there and goes, well, here is a cut-resistant glove. Right. Well, we've created a problem because uh, high-density polyethylene, HDPE, HPPE, there's all kinds of different things that they call it, Dyneema, Chinema, whatever it is, is, is it's poly. So when you apply heat to it, it, it will melt. Right. It becomes gummy, don't quote me on this, 170 to 190 degrees Fahrenheit, which yeah, we don't pick that up with our regular hands, but in a work environment, that's not that's not really that's not hot hot. Right. So, so somewhere where again where we're around a foundry, we could be around a foundry. We could be somebody welding something. Uh, we could, be, you know, we could be getting you know weld spatter on our hands. Whatever that is, is all of a sudden. Yeah, we have the cut resistance we need, but it's a material that's going to melt. Right. So. That's not a good situation. So you kind of need to know what's going on around you because maybe, you know, maybe you do have a chemical that all of a sudden, yeah, you need a cut-resistant glove, but all of a sudden you're sticking your, sticking your hands in methyl ethyl ketone, and it's a real, uh, it's probably a good idea not to submerge your hands in the MEK and let it sit there when you have that cut. Well, it's 2018. There are gloves out there that are chemical resistant with cut liners. That's what I'm saying. Every single 
I don't know, at least twice a, twice a year, they come out with something different that's yeah. like even better. It's like tighter fitting on your hand. It resists more chemicals than the previous version of Permutation, it. Permutation, degradation is longer. Um, maybe they figured out wear points, you know. They'll usually come out with Gen 1 of a glove and then Gen 2 will have a reinforced thumb crotch so because they figured out that's where the glove blows out the most. Um, yeah, every day they're kind of putting more engineering and stuff. Yeah. So then number four, how long is the item that you're working on being held? So do you need a glove that offers some sort of padding or is ergonomics an issue? Yep, absolutely. Maybe uh, usually... What you'll find is once you start getting cuts uh, ruled out of your accident log, meaning you know you've all of a sudden you had hand lacerations, and <clears throat> over over time you put people into cut resistant gloves, and all of a sudden you're like, man, we're still having hand injuries. A lot of times that's going to be contusions, so maybe not only a cut resistant glove, but you may need some TPR back of the hand, you know, metacarpal type coverage, right? Because that's That'll be the next thing that you kind of figure out. Well, we got most of it, but we're still having some incidents. Well, we just take that glove and, you know, we throw some throw some little kids' Lincoln, plastic Lincoln log-looking things on the back of the hand. Right. And all of a sudden, well, we fix that too. Well, it's kind of, there's so many different hybrids that are out there. So you maybe you're a mechanic and you're dealing with the oily parts, so you need something slip-resistant. But you're dealing with sharp parts, you need something cut-resistant. You can whack your hand as you're working on the back of the hand. You break knuckles, you know, yep. break the bones on the back of your hand. So you need something with the back of the hand protection. There's somebody that's probably come up with a glove that will beat everything you need. You might have to pay for it. It's you know, it's probably not going to be cheap, but you always say solutions cost money, right? Well, I mean, the whole thing is either buy a, buy a solution or hurt somebody. And any accident you see, I mean. When you look at how much uh, personal protective equipment you can buy from it, or buy for it, it's it's crazy. And I'll I'll always refer back to, and you probably get sick of me saying this, but I always refer back to uh, National Safety Council did a study, and it was in multiple different uh, areas or multiple how to say multiple industries over a long period of time, and basically they looked at money put into training, personal protective equipment, um, engineering, and basically what they figured out was over time, for every dollar that somebody spent on there, there was a $2.40 return. So when you're spending money on safety, if you're thinking about it the right way, you're investing for the future because you're going to get that return. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to add onto that topic? Probably the biggest thing to to realize is that there's been that change in the standard, and some people haven't really gone out there and looked at what they're what they're buying. They just kept on buying what they were buying before, and it just got relabeled. Well, the problem that happened was it used to be a one through a five. Now we have an A one through an A nine, and so something. It was in a low level. It didn't really matter. So uh, a one was the same. Uh, two is pretty much the same. Yeah. But when we get into three, four, five, well now that's that's now like three, four, five, six, seven. So there's you know there's some more numbers to where at one point in time when you would talk about a four, you could have a four that was twice as cut resistant as the other four. Right. And now all that stuff that's in the middle is split out to, into more classifications. Right. And obviously, as you go from, <coughs> it's just like anything, more cost more. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you need more, maybe you need less. I, I you know, that, that that's for people to figure out kind of themselves. Well, and there's a lot of stuff that was on the market that was used to be a four on a scale of one to five. So you'd be like, oh, that's on the higher end of protection. And now it's an A4 on yeah. a scale of... One to nut to a nine. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. So now you're like, well, I'm in the lower half of being protective instead of yep. almost as protective as you can possibly get. Yeah, and and again, it's uh, it's a it's a lab test, meaning there's no practical how to say when you look at how gloves are tested, they're tested in a lab with a specific weight with a specific type of edge, 
and every edge that we like we were talking about earlier is it glass is it is it uh sheet metal is it you know i don't it can it can be metals with just big burrs yeah and different gloves are going to perform at different levels given what those edges are yeah i took this little couple sentences from one of our blog posts i thought it was a pretty good job it says one of the most dangerous things is to use PPE that doesn't protect. It offers a false sense of security. Whether your hand protection is too bulky, too restrictive, or they simply don't offer the right hazard protection, you're putting your hands and your livelihood at risk. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that pretty much covers it. Like, sometimes you can be like, I have on a glove, and now I'm Superman, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm good to touch that because I'm wearing gloves, whether it's your Thinsulate mittens that you got you know at home you're like i can grab that hot piece of metal because i'm wearing a glove well that i was just i was just at a facility the other day (coughs) and they were used they were grabbing uh parts that they basically they kind of superheat them and they were grabbing them with what they were calling a, a heat resistant glove and so i asked them to show it to me and then when i got kind of looking at it it was a 40 gram thinsulate glove with just a leather outer. So it gave them a security and it probably did keep it from getting hot quick to the touch. Right. But I would say that's not what that glove's designed to do. Would it maybe, and that's, that's where I think a lot of times I'll say something's probably better than nothing. Right. But it is 2018 and we do have safety professionals all over the country, and so if it's not us that helps somebody, find somebody that knows what they're talking about, and then get them to help you evaluate what you're doing, where you're doing it, and what you're touching, and find the right stuff. Yeah, and then that does become, for just somebody that starts on the job that day, that's a false sense of security for it, especially when you call it your heat-resistant glove. Yeah. They're, they're, they they're, might be they're, touching something like real you, hot. Like you say, they think that they're Superman. Right. Well, hell. It's heat resistant. That means it resists any heat that I touch. Yeah. So I'm going to stick my hand in the furnace and grab that out there. And I'm going to take these home and I'm going to be barbecuing hot dogs and I'm going to drop something in the fire and I'll reach in my hand in there and pull it out because it's heat resistant. I do have gloves that I do that with, but they're they're different gloves. You got the big aluminum foil tin man looking gloves you reach into the fire Well, I've got like a uh, real heavy loop out uh, uh, Kevlar Terry. So I mean they're they're thick and big, but you I mean I you can literally reach into the and grab you know a burning log and reposition it and yeah. and be okay for you know a ten second touch. Yeah, but that's what that glove's designed to do. Yep. But then there's also you probably get your brother over there putting on those gloves and be like, let's see how long I can hold my hand in the fire until <laughs> I start to feel pain. Yeah. Well, that's probably that's yeah different conversation. <laughs> So anyways, let's come through the email box this week. Ask Dave a couple questions. If you guys have a question, please send them to Fred at QuantitySafety.com. Reach out to us on any of the social media platforms, and we will put them in the show um, and read them back. We'd love to hear from you. So number one, I'm working in an area where arc flash is possible. Are there items besides my clothing that may need to be arc flash or FR rated? Uh, it's a multi-step thing there. So... When we talk about it, um, there's some nuances there. And so when we talk about clothing, is the first thing to do is making sure that our clothing is a system. So a lot of people sit there and go, and I see this all the time, is they go, well, we, we throw on our, our, uh, our coverall. And then we, you know, they're getting into an HRC2 situation where they balaclava, they put their face mask on their helm and they got the hard hat and they skip a couple steps first step is they didn't take that under armor shirt that they wore to work off before they put on <clears throat> the uh art wear so more of where i see it is people making mistakes and doing what they're doing so they're they're making a mistake there of not treating the ppe that they're putting on as a system um there is a need for hearing protection. And while I don't think I've really ever read of hearing protection catching fire, 
there are some plugs that are would self-extinguish faster than the other ones. Like, you know, if you take the old traditional EAR classic, those will self-extinguish a lot faster than like, a, you know, a standard foam. Yeah. So that is a, a, a thing. Another thing to take into account. Isn't it with, with hearing protection, though, isn't a lot of it that... that blast an arc blast it's well, so the arc blast loud could, yeah it's it's super super loud yeah but a lot of people don't necessarily take that into account and and put the the hearing protection in one but i guess i'm countering that with you can have hearing protection that if it ignited because when we're talking about that arc flashes it's a i mean just google arc flash yeah and watch about three or four of these and it's like I mean, it, it's like, holy shit. I mean, it's cataclysmic. I mean, shit is blowing up big. Yeah, like when you see those videos of a guy completely on fire running through <laughs> running through someone's town. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's, that's what it what, looks like. That's what we're talking about. Right. So when we talk about FR-rated stuff, as long as we've, we've got our protective footwear, we're wearing our, our, you know, depending on what kind of gloves you're required, is, if there's a shock, obviously you're going to have your rubbers. But you should have your leather outers over the top of that. So it's it's again making sure that you're putting that system together. Okay. But things to also think about is, okay, when that blast goes off, there is a, a significant shock that comes that is going to push you. So, do I have a trip hazard behind me? Am I standing at the top of you know? Let's say that there's two foot behind me, and then a 30-foot drop. We should really evaluate the work surface because if that goes, there there is a it, kind of a concussion-type shock right. that, that will f- could potentially force you off of something. So there's there's a lot of things to, to take into account when you're talking about arc flash outside of just the traditional PPE set that you would have. You know, for instance, if we're in a high-shock <coughs> area, it's making sure that your boundaries are marked. So all of a sudden, you know, Oh, Rufus is running around behind you. You know he's your helper or whatever, and you you have that arc flash, and he and he's in he's in the zone. He's in the arc zone, and right. he doesn't have anything on. So, evaluating who, what, when, where, why, how, all those good words. I think a couple things that you sort of you sort of mentioned, but I want you to go in a little bit further because I know there's some confusion that's out there. Hard hat. So mm-hmm. that was one thing that you said, and hard hats don't have an arc rating on no hard hats them. don't have so. an arc rating but it once you when you dig into uh nfpa <coughs> 70e basically the requirement is for a series e cap or hat right so a series <coughs> e uh, i would say a majority of caps out there hit that more yeah, than as long 50, they're not vented as long as they're not vented but right. you you do have situations where you could need you know there may be a series G or a series C. So C is conductive. G is just limited to 2,200 volts. And then a series E is 10,000, I think. Okay. So there's not really a temperature rating, but there is a, a rating for for electrical shock. Okay. And then you mentioned um, a blast that could shoot you two feet and maybe there's a fall. So I know in some applications you would be wearing fall protection, so that's another category of some of this fall protection is arc rated. Yes, there is. So you know, from bodywear to connecting devices, yes, there are there are um, devices out there that are meant to uh, kind of withstand again that cataclysmic fire that goes on. Because obviously, if you have that cataclysmic event, it's 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 a twofold thing. Is I have my fall protection on and it happens, maybe I don't fall. Right. Well, if you have it on and you have an arc flash, it's going to ignite the, ignite that poly harness, and it would suck to go through life with the imprint of a harness on your body, because you had it on there and there was an arc flash and it, it stayed on fire. Stayed on fire and burned into you. <clears throat> um, Be pretty wild, kind of looking. You know, you'd have your your chest strap going across, and every time you went to the pool, you'd have to explain it, and it'd be kind of be really embarrassing for your kids. Yeah. Kind of reminds I don't know what movies they, but you've seen it like 10 times in different movies where somebody goes to the beach and they fall asleep. They fall asleep with no shirt on and some yep. kid comes up with sunscreen and writes something on yeah, them. Yeah, puts the smiley face on yeah, them. Yeah, it says asshole on their <laughs> chest or something like that. Yeah. 
So similar, but permanent. Yep. Yep. Um, question number two. I was told that I need to be in a class three vest, and I'm not exactly sure what that does for you over your standard vest. Okay. So as they kind of looked at it over time, it's it's class two became very general looking to people. Meaning if you look at a class two vest on a person about dusk or dark and you look at a barrel, they look similar. So create visibility, but to also make you not look like a barrel is all of a sudden when you add sleeves and more reflective tape where you can see arms flailing around or whatever, is it, 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 uh, it gains conspicuity. Also, you know, adding pants, adding series E devices, which are caps. So there's certain combinations where you can take twos to threes by complementing. So the vest usually and just gaiters around your ankles. Yeah, but again, that's kind of making you look less like a barrel than just having just, you know, just a regular class uh, class two vest. Right. But for a company that maybe doesn't want to have their class two vest and AM their class three vest... That's like an easy add-on is just to put on leg gaiters or something like yeah, that yeah, and yeah. be compliant with that. Instead of trying to take it because otherwise there's there's a little bit of a cost jump to yeah. take everybody into a class three because there's you got to have more of the background material. You have to have more of the tape. You have to have more of the tape in certain areas. So, yeah, it drives the price up. And so mostly that's going to be like DOT certifications um, or yeah. you think just anyone that works roadside should technically be in class three. Well, I mean, theoretically... Uh, it doesn't have to be roadside. Um, high visibility vest in in construction zones where we have, um, let's say we're working with cranes or bulldozers or you know any earth moving devices, is you still want to have high visibility clothing on, so that people are aware that when people are around them. Right. So it's not just. It's not just the guy that's, uh, you know, doing roadways or bridge, you know, working on the bridge or working on, a, you know, a roadway. DOT has standards that require it. Yeah. Your class, it, that's kind of where you get into your class twos and threes. But realistically, if you're in a work environment where you have uh, any kind of equipment that people are driving around and moving, you should you should use high vis vest to you know to make people more visible, more conspicuous to the work environment. Okay, or sometimes a lot of visitors, you know, sometimes that's a major thing is that when you have a visitor in your facility, you put them in a high vis vest. Yeah, so that way everyone can see this person in this vest that's not doing what we're doing, and we need to look out for them because they haven't been trained on our policies and procedures and whatnot. Absolutely. The third one was a Fred a Fred question because I've asked it to you before, and did I keep giving you the wrong answer? No, you keep giving me a good answer, but I think it would be helpful uh, okay. to do it. So, do you have an opinion on IR sensors on gas detection monitors? Okay, Th- and this is this is my position on it. Right. So, obviously, every single manufacturer out there is making monitors that have an IR sensor. Correct. They're all making them. Correct. Well, most everybody is. Okay. And the main thing is uh, when you talk about battery life in a device, that's the main reason is because when you think about a traditional sensor, a catalytic bead sensor, basically it sucks a lot of the battery because it's pulling an environment and trying to make little mini explosions to where it goes. Yep, there's a concentration of gas that can potentially, you know, combust or explode, explode if it's if it was produced with, uh, you know, enough, you know, when you talk about the flame triangle, so you got to have enough oxygen, you have to have uh, enough of, and then you have to have, you know, the ignition source. So it's measuring that, and that's what sucks those batteries down is that traditional sensor. So when they went to that new infrared, they can get a, they can get an idea. You know, the the little computer takes a look at it, what's coming across there, and it goes, "Yep, that looks right." So that doesn't take as much 
energy, so the batteries last longer. So if it's a if it's a diffusion unit, those things can run for days and days. I mean, I've seen them run for weeks, where the traditional sensor you couldn't make it to the end of the workday. Right. And you complement that with a pumped unit. You got a pumped unit that can go for a couple days, and you know you're only getting hours out of you know your traditional pumped unit with the catalytic bead sensors. So that's kind of where it came forward is it said, yeah, we can see it. Well, my problem is, is when you look at actually what the fact that you could enter a situation and it goes, it goes back into that false sense of security. So you're handing somebody a monitor and you're saying, Hey, this, this, this will keep you from getting in an in a explosive environment. And if you have somebody that can sign off and do that due diligence to say, because IR sensors, there are certain uh, volatile organic compounds that it can't sense, that it doesn't know what, it, can, it won't say, yes, that this is a problem. So there are situations out there where you could lull a sense of, a false sense of security and be in an environment that is explosive. And the catalytic bead sensor would probably pick it up where that IR sensor probably wouldn't just okay. certain certain situations are is it all inclusive no but again unless somebody is that intimate with the work area i'm not an industrial hygienist nor have i done the industrial hygiene work at any of my customer sites right so if somebody's going to ask me i need to measure lel unless they have somebody that has the the knowledge base to answer that it's hard for me to to help somebody make that decision. To make that recommendation too. Yep, because I don't want to sit there and go, no, that'll work for you. So that you get a good, you know, you have a good charge on the battery when you blow up. Right. Well, that was good. Yeah, you're dead, but you got 75% of your battery yeah. left. Yeah, I mean, so I know that that's... It'll be running. We all, we all run around, you know, worried about battery life on our phones and everything, but sometimes, uh, sometimes we might need to sacrifice a little of that battery life. Yeah. So, but you say that the main reason that the companies are doing it is for battery life. So that way they yeah. can say that instead of lasting seven hours, their unit lasts 80 hours. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a majority of what it is. The cost, too? Are they less expensive? Or not really? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I'm just trying to think. I don't think there's any of the higher-end I haven't end really stuff seen that anything have. that's like shockingly cheaper or anything so i would say that there's there's similar fair enough all right so most of this episode we talked about gloves so i wrote down a few famous gloves throughout history so michael jackson that's got to be the most famous person that wore a glove right yeah i mean kind of creepy that he had just the one glove on i still don't understand what the reason have you ever heard anything anyone explain nothing that i can talk about now and it usually was very off color a joke, but there has to be a legit reason that he wore one glove. I, I don't know. Yeah, there almost, almost had to be. It looked like a batting glove. So, how about the juice? OJ. If the glove does not fit, you must acquit. You must acquit. That Johnny gl- Cochran. That gl- did you ever watch the, the thing they did on FX about that? Yeah. It was like a show about... I didn't see all of it. Didn't the people it versus like OJ Simpson. Or yeah, something? Yeah. It was really good. Yeah, it's yeah. on Netflix. You should check it out. Freddy Krueger, got him on the list. He had those badass gloves with the razor blade with the hands. razor blades on it. You can do some destruction with those. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, yeah. Better I, lock that, the door. That was a, that was spooky shit when I was a kid, man. I mean, you talk about. I watch it now, and they're kind of they're a little funny now. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's just I've become more sick and demented, or what, or but I can remember that keep me up at night. Well, imagine you're growing up your whole life being named Fred. <laughs> That's number one on the list of hey, really? Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Besides my last name being Redunzel, that takes precedent because Rapunzel. Yeah. I could let see down your golden hair, be... Redunzel. Like yeah. that stuff is number one. But number two, for sure, Freddy Krueger. Especially as a little kid. Huh. I was him for Halloween one year too, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> I had the, the nails and I had the, yeah. the mask with like the burn up the, face. Yeah. Melt the sweater. The, the red and black sweater. Huh. I had it. I had it all. Did you have the hat? Had the hat. Yep. Huh. Went over the bald scalp. I'm pretty sure it was a kit that was just put together for me. But yeah, yep, that was number one 
Do you have any of those? Like, anyone call you anything? Dave White, that's pretty vanilla. Dude, that is... There's... You might as well be John Smith. Yeah, I mean, it's literally like Dave. <laughs> yeah. Not not a lot. Yeah, no. Maybe uh, Wendy's guy. You ever get one? No, that's Dave Thomas, wasn't it? It's Dave Thomas. I'm trying to think of a Dave. That's no, names. no. I, I mean, the probably as close as I get is I get like a big Dave. I get you know something that refers or to my size around. My Larry the Cable Guy. You got Larry the Cable Guy once. Well, yeah. That has nothing to do with your name. But yeah. But in an airport, association, right? Association. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next one I had on the list: Muhammad Ali. Yeah, but the most famous person that laced on a pair of gloves. Yeah, I mean that's number Fly one. Fly like on the list. a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yeah, I got Willie Mays on the list. That's the guy. Me the most famous baseball glove of all time. One twelve gold gloves. Yeah. So I got him, and then I got Chef Boyardee. Remember the little white glove with the smiley face on it? The chef isn't it Chef Boyardee? No, it wasn't Chef. Boyardee. Who was it? Hamburger Helper. Hamburger Helper. <clears throat> Maybe that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. I wrote down Chef Boyardee, but no, Chef Boyardee was the hat. Well, the glove had... Uh, didn't the glove have a hat on, too? No, he was... He, <laughs> I just remember the red it nose. It was a little spooky hand. Yeah. That kind of... Hey! <laughs> right. We have, now we have chicken helper. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. I remember I, I remember think. That maybe I'm wrong on that, but no, I think, I think glove, you're. I think you're right. Hamburger helper. helper. Yeah. Yep. So, he's a pretty famous glove, though. Anyways. Well, so. I mean, God damn, how much did you... That stuff did you get shoveled into your mouth as a kid? I mean, even to like, college. Can we please not have any more of the lasagna? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want the beef stroganoff anymore. <laughs> it's gross. Oh, but I, I was still eating that shit in, high, in college for sure. It's a good every cheap... now and then, every now and then, I'll make make it for the kids, and they they're they're like, "This is nasty." Like, bust one out, just like, load it up in salt. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's got enough sodium to make you have a heart attack. Yep. So, all right, that's all I got for today. Uh, time to call it a day. Your daughter has a volleyball game that you got to get to. Who are they playing tonight? Who's Maddie got in volleyball tonight? Who are they playing? Uh, it's it's a it's a league, so it's they're red, so I think they're playing yellow. Well, go red. Yeah, go red. Get it done. Go red for women. Yep. So thank you guys for listening. Um, if you had a good time and you want more fun, subscribe to the podcast. You'll never miss an episode. Next week we'll be back, and we hope you'll be back too. Uh, definitely want to hear what you guys have to say on the topic discussed or anything else safety related. Give us comments, questions, any of our social media platforms. Reach out to us via email. Dave gives the fax number every once in a while. It's what, 563-445-2171? Yep. All right. Right on. Hit us up via fax if you'd like. Uh, safety's got no quitting time. The, per- the first fax question I get is a, is a winner. Yeah, we'll send you some uh, candied bacon. Yeah, there you go. Good fax question, so... All right, guys. See you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening in to Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, brought to you by Quad City Safety. Send us your questions on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Quad City Safety. Hashtag Safety Tales. Or email them to Fred at QuadCitySafety.com. He's the guy keeping this mess of a show in line. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a kick-ass way to show that you care about safety. (coughs) Oh, my God.